Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. The music is dead. Long live the music. Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. We are so happy that you've decided to join us. My name is Kyle Hawk. I'm the editor-in-chief at a little website called It's All Dead. And joining me, per usual, is our senior editor, Kyle Schultz, all the way from Chicago. Good evening, Kyle. Yoo-hoo! <laughs> we are... Uh, we are recording this as uh, <laughs> yeah, as the holiday season is upon us. Um, doing our year end end of the year podcast. Uh, we just this week ran a whole bunch of stuff on the side about our uh, top ten albums of the year, top ten songs of the year, and uh, as we've done, uh, we're also going to do a podcast to talk about our favorite music of the year. And, and it's crazy. I was thinking about this today, Kyle. It blows my mind. This is the third one of these that we've done. Like, can you believe how fast that time has gone? That didn't even occur to me until you just now said it. That's upsetting. Because <laughs> <laughs> it feels like we literally just started the website, and now we're doing our third uh, best of podcast and, and feature. And this is probably my favorite. I've always enjoyed this at all the at other sites I've written for, as well as It's All Dead. I, I love lists, and if you read our website, then you are probably well aware of that because we are always doing lists of things, but especially the end of the year stuff. I don't know why. Um, it's always, I mean, it's obviously, it's just so subjective to say this was the best, this was the second best of whatever. Um, but I really like reflecting on things in that way. It's kind of a good way to process what was meaningful to me in the past year and what moved me. I don't know about you, but I, I just, I really like this stuff. Well, uh, for me, it's more just kind of a reward of what I've done throughout the year. Like, um, I have a bad habit. I buy all my albums instead of, you know, using Spotify or anything like that. So I own everything. And it's an expensive hobby. It uh, it really racks up on you. But it's a point in the year when, you know, you've spent 12 months just really delving into everything you love. And uh, it's that point where you kind of go back and you look at everything, at least for me, that I've uh, racked up over the year. And you kind of see... Uh, you know how much you've invested into uh, music itself and the artists and then right. you finally get to it's that moment where it justifies every all the money and time you spent into this by uh, being able to kind of reflect and see what really made you fall in love yeah no question about it it's that's a big part of it and it's fun especially as you're compiling stuff and you're going back and realizing like, Oh yeah, like that came out this year. You know, like I, I always, I get near the, you know, it's like the, the more recent something comes out, the more impactful it's probably going to be on you. Um, but then you look back and remember like, Oh yeah, back in March I was listening to this and it was awesome. And I listened to it again and I find that it's still awesome. Um, yeah. It's, it's always interesting to see kind of how that process works when I get to the end of the year and I'm trying to sort it all out. And the, the other thing is yeah, definitely. the, so like Spotify now you were mentioning that you buy all of your music, which is an awesome way to do it. Um, and what I've been doing for several years now is, you know, I, I have a Spotify subscription and then I basically buy the albums that I really want on vinyl. Um, but Spotify does these end of the year things mm. and it shows you like even seasonally, like this is what you were listening to the most in spring and fall and whatever. And it's, I, I really just enjoy all of it. Kind of, it, it really tells you a lot about, um, I guess what moods and emotions and what things you're going through in your life at different points during the year. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a fun time to, to think back on some of that. And that's what we're going to do today. Um, and just talking about, uh, some of our, favorite music and some of the best music of the year. Um, and 
you know, you can go to the website. It's all dead.com and see all of our lists broken down, uh, in great detail. I think today for this podcast, instead of just rehashing what's already on the site, we're just going to kind of have a free flowing conversation about the best music of the year. So I'll let you start, Kyle. Um, you know, I know that you put the wonder years as your top album of the year. They landed at two on the list. Um, and you were just telling me how that was what you thought the best album of the year was as well as your favorite. Um, but feel free to just kind of start wherever you want, whether it be the wonder years or otherwise. No, um, I think for me, uh, the wonder years is definitely my favorite album. And honestly, I'm a little biased with that because it's just, they're one of those bands that literally everything they put out just floors me. And, uh, it was one of those things where leading up to the release of this album, uh, you know, I got excited for it. And then when it came out, it really was everything I'd hoped it would be. And, uh, you know, it has what I feel are the appropriate singles. It has, uh, um, you know, all the themes and stuff that I was expecting and what I wasn't expecting. And it really caught me off guard. And then, um, I got to see them play an acoustic show earlier in the year, and they played just a few select songs off of it. Uh, but even that, um, just the singles they were playing, even in acoustic form, were so powerful. It was hands down my favorite album of the year. And uh, leading up to my favorite song of the year, Cigarettes and Saints off of No Close to Heaven, seeing them play that acoustically was easily the most powerful uh, performance I've seen in 2015, hands down. Yeah, it's uh, and that song topped our songs list. The Wonder Years has been they've been a big part of our site. Uh, I think even the first the first year that we did this, the Greatest Generation had come out. That was our number two album of the year that year, I think. Um, and then Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties was our top song last year, and they were on the albums list. Um, you know, whether it be Soupy or, or the Wonder Years in general, it's just that music is it's a big part of what we enjoy. I will say. Um, and I, I reviewed the album for our site. I can't remember whether I gave it four and a half out of five or four out of five, but I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's their best album, but it's stuck with me the least of any of their albums, which is really interesting. Like I, really? I'll still go back and listen to it, but I haven't listened to it near as much as I was listening to The Greatest Generation and um, Suburbia after their releases. I'm not really sure why that is, but that's that's what's been happening with me. I'm assuming you've obviously been listening to it a lot even since it came out. Oh, yeah. Well, my uh, big thing with the Wonder Years is I listen to their albums a lot. Like, I know all their albums front to back, but what I usually tend to do is kind of uh, cherry-pick the songs I want, and I put them into a massive playlist, and I listen mm-hmm. to that a lot. And I haven't done that with No Closer to Heaven yet, and it's been four months now, and I've just been listening to it uh, front to back every single time I put it in. It's uh, I definitely think uh, Suburban Greatest Generation may be had a more well thought out theme uh, that went along with it. And there's a stronger album, but there's something about no close to heaven. That's really captured my attention and it really kept me there. It's kept me there for uh, the better part of half a year. Yeah. I, I want to ask and you. Uh, and I, oh, go ahead. Oh no. I was just going to say like, I feel like part of my, the thing I struggle with now is I can't tell if I, part of the reason they capture me so much is just their music is that strong or if I'm just that much of a fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and not to make this whole podcast a wonder years podcast, cause we've got a lot to get through, but it's, I think the one thing for me, um, is it, it's the most, there's, it's got the most meat to it for sure. I mean, there, there's so much, so much going on lyrically. 
um, that they're it's it's a different flow than the past albums. I feel like the Greatest Generation Suburbia, like they go by really fast. The melodies are really strong. The the uh, No yeah. Closer to Heaven is a lot more challenging for me, and I like that. That's why I consider it their best. But it's also the the toughest for, for me to get through. But um, it definitely deserves to be at, at the top of our list. Um, for me. You know, I and I meant to start off the podcast talking about this. I, I remember starting the year wondering. I, I remember having conversations with several different people. I think we even talked about it of kind of hitting that point of like, man, you know, is it just that I'm getting older? It's finding I'm having a harder time, you know, with like just finding music that really moves me or speaks to me. And looking back on it as we were doing this, I realized that this year was probably one of my favorite years for music in quite a while. Um, and just as far as like what I enjoyed, the the albums that are on this yeah, list, um, I really enjoyed. No, there seems to be a theme that kind of goes along every couple of years. Like we'll have a very strong year. 2015 was a very strong year for music. And, uh, you know, it, we'll have a very strong year. And then the next year you'll have a few favorite albums, but a lot of it seems a little kind of watered down. And then it seems the next year every band comes back with a vengeance to really just put out an amazing album and it kind of goes and it uh, ebbs and flows like that and i'm kind of worried next year maybe we won't have quite as many uh high profile uh, albums coming out but this year was very good for everyone yeah no question about it and so what i found most uh i guess my favorite thing about this year and if you read the side with any sort of consistency um, you likely know my love for hip hop. It was like the first genre of music that I ever loved. Um, and I, I went through a period where it, it was really a frustrating genre for me. But in the past few years, it's really kind of I, I've gotten back into it. There's been a lot of really fresh artists and fresh voices that I've really enjoyed. Um, and so going into this year, what was funny is my most anticipated album uh, was probably Kanye West's album that was supposed to be coming out this year that never did. But even without that, there were just so many great hip hop albums. And number one on our list was Kendrick Lamar's uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, which to me was absolutely uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the most important album to come out this year. I mean, not only was it just incredible from a sonic standpoint um and with all the risks he took going from like just the seminal hip-hop album and good kid mad city a few years ago to doing this like live instrumentation and funk and jazz and soul all blended together uh just a complete departure from what we should have expected but it was the most uh one of the most risk-taking but rewarding albums of the year and the most socially relevant um given the the current climate of, uh, you know, police brutality and racial tension in the country. Like this, this album was incredible. Um, I, I've talked about it at length, but to me it was a no brainer to land at number one, but even along with Kendrick's album, there was Dr. Dre, his return. I, I've been a huge Dr. Dre fan for years. Um, so the, his Compton album, I thought was incredible. I, I don't think it's getting near enough love on the, a lot of the end year lists that I've, seen so far but it's a great album and then the weekend has been probably one of my favorite albums this year i, I just fell in love with it and he, he's someone that I, i'd kind of enjoyed before but uh th this album uh, beauty behind the madness was just incredible like just the it's so well produced it's so dark it's so conflicted um i, I just loved everything about it so for me like i don't know hip-hop kind of ruled the year for me as far as uh, some of my favorite albums were concerned yeah, I got uh, I got nothing on that. I've never been a big hip hop fan. Um, I'm much more if there's a really good single, I really like listening to that. But I've never been able to like 
delve into an uh, album like that or anything. Uh, what I did do is, because you talked up Kendrick Lamar so much, I bought his album this week, and I just haven't listened wow. to it yet. Holy cow. So, <laughs> I've, uh, I got that to look forward to, but... <laughs> well, I, I hope you like it. And that's, uh, so that's an album you do have to listen to from start to finish. Like, uh, it's pretty much impossible to cherry pick songs from it just because it, it's a, uh, it's a flowing story from start to finish. Um, and that, that's part of what makes it so powerful. There were no radio singles on that album, uh, or nothing you could really pull and do that. Even the song that he, he released first as a single at the end of last year, I, which is the final or the next to last song in the album without its context was a completely different song. Once we, like we heard as the single and it was like, Oh, okay. But then when you hear it in the context of the album, it, it's powerful. It's just, it blows you away. Um, that's the beauty of that album is that if you take any piece out of the album, there's still good songs, but within the context of the album itself, they're just stunningly beautiful. So um, it, it's a great album. It's been number one on probably, I think I've only seen two outlets that didn't list that album at number one. Um, so it's definitely been hugely relevant. Um, so what are some of the other things that you enjoyed this year along with uh, the Wonder Years? Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff out that really caught my eye. Uh, the early November came back and yeah. they're, they've been one of my favorite bands for uh, 15 years now. And, you know, they came back from their hiatus a couple years ago and they released, uh, you know, their, uh, first album since their, their return. And it was good. I really enjoyed it when it came out, but I haven't really listened to it since then. And, uh, they put it out in view this year and it's been in a constant rotation for me. It's just, it really is the early November being themselves. They've pushed their sound. Uh, it's Ace Enders not shying away from the emo uh, lyricism that really made them famous, you know, yeah. 15 years ago. Uh, and it's the entire band pushing themselves to new extremes that, we always, you always kind of heard in their earlier albums, but you never saw before. And it really was, um, I think it was Joseph Morrow of the band was saying if he had to describe it as an album, he would call it like, it's similar to the brand news, uh, the devil and God rage inside me. Oh yeah. And you can really hear that when you listen to it, just there's that dark uh, edge to it that you never really heard before. And then now that it's down on an album, it, you know that's always been with the band the entire time. Yeah, I I had totally forgotten about that connection that uh, we'd made earlier this year when we talked about it with the brand new The Devil and God. Uh, that's a that's a perfect um, perfect example there. Um, yeah, to me, Imbue is the best album that early November has put out, and I'm sure there's people that will want to burn me at the stake for saying that. Um, and, and I realize the importance <laughs> yes, of, <laughs> yeah, no, I realize the importance of the room's too cold, but, um, I, I loved Imbue. I, I thought it was stellar. It was probably my favorite rock record of the year. Uh, and honestly, I, I wish that, I wish that it had a, a, a larger reach because I feel like this is an album a lot of people would really get into. And I know a lot of people have enjoyed it, but I, I mean, even outside of the scene that we're, we're usually covering. I feel like people would have gotten into this. Yeah, well, that's a thing that's always been a part of the early November and uh, Ascenders in general. It's just there's a very hardcore following of people who really delve into the music, 
And each new release kind of pulls in a few more, um, but it's never been something that really grabs an entire group of people all at once. It's something, it's a slow burn that really gradually pulls uh, fans in. And, you know, it's just one of the, this sounds like uh, if the early November was starting now today, this sounds like the album they would put out to start with. Like, they're one of the few bands where each album that comes out, it doesn't quite sound like a continuation of sound. Um, it's more like it's a new beginning for the band as well. Like, uh, the best way I can think to describe it is just their sound has always been so in the middle of prog rock and just emo and uh, punk that anything they put out, it sounds like that's uh, the genre they were aiming for in the first place. And yeah. Imbue's no different. It really delves deeper into uh, every stylistic choice they've done up to this point and really pulls that all to the forefront. Yeah, I agree. Um, quickly, I wanted you to give a defense of the new Al Gallagher album that you put on the list, because that was an album that um, I, I know you're a huge fan of his. It was, I don't, I'm, I don't want to say it was lukewarmly received overall, but um, it didn't, it wasn't an album that was like lauded widely. Um, so give us your reason for it landing in the top 10. Uh, yeah, it did not get the best reviews when it came out. Um, but I think part of that is just, it's no Gallagher. Like it's so hard to put out anything for him that at this point would stand up to, you know, the singles he put out when he was 20 with Oasis. Um, and I think it's a lot harder to really look at his music now and compare it to um, you know, his legendary, he has a legendary discography that spans yeah. decades and he's trying to compete with, you know, songs known the world over for 20 years now and chasing yesterday, uh, for me, it was just kind of returned to form for him. Um, when he put out his first solo album a few years ago, I think it got higher, uh, reviews. Like it was a lot more well received just for the fact that it was different from Oasis. But the thing is, Oasis basically is Noel Gallagher, at least for me. Um, you know, Oasis has a lot of different fans, so you'll have different opinions on that. But for me, it's just it's Noel Gallagher writing the songs. And Chasing Yesterday is very aptly titled for me because it sounds like an album that's always kind of been around. Like, I guess the worst case scenario is sounds like a lot of Oasis B-sides, but... It's just uh, his first Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds album was very acoustic based. It was a lot softer. It was a lot different, and it was lovely. But Chasing Yesterday really sounds like he's chasing uh, the rock bug mm. again. That's the worst wording I could have ever used, but he's chasing that again. And it's just none, none of the songs are genre-defying. Like um, nothing is there to really change rock and roll, but it's just – it's the – best of rock and roll it's you know a legendary songwriter just having fun with an album like he has nothing left to prove it's just right. it's a lot of fun songs put together and overall i just found it incredibly enjoyable and just uh very it felt like a classic album to me like it's something that i've known forever and i'm returning to an album that i've loved all along yeah that's a that's a really great way of putting it um so before we move on to the best songs of the year, um, just to, to round out, and I'm looking at the list, I'm realizing like, you know, we're not going to get to everything, but even like the Church's album, which was 
uh, one of the best indie pop albums of the year. The Every Open Eye was incredible. So I was talking with to you about this uh, before we started tonight about how like every single year my the album I consider the best album of the year is never the album that was my favorite of the year. And I realized this a couple of years ago and started having conversations with people to see if other people were having the same experiences. Um, and, and some have. Um, so, you know, to Pimp Butterfly, best album of the year. Um, and I love it. But it's not. It wasn't my favorite. It wasn't the thing I put on when I needed to, you know, get a lift up or you know whatever. Um, and I, this same thing happened to me last year, where I I couldn't bear to put my favorite album on the top ten just because I felt like I was shorting something that was better. Like this year, Carly Rae Jepsen's <laughs> Emotion was my favorite album of the year. I love that album. It is an incredible pop album, and thankfully people nice. have been recognizing it. Like it's been on almost every list I've seen people have really been giving it high praise, uh, which is incredible because it really deserves it. And I ended up putting bring me the horizon as my, uh, that's the spirit as the the final slot on my five that I contributed to the list. But like, even in hindsight, and I love the bring me the horizon album, but if you were giving me the option between those two, I would probably pick Carly Rae Jepsen just cause I like it more, even though <laughs> bring me the horizon album yeah. was incredible <laughs> too. So I just have this like eternal struggle there. Um, but I, w- I would be remiss in this whole conversation without bringing up Carly Rae Jepsen because uh, she really won me over this year and Emotion is, uh, was the best pop album to come out this year, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, that, oh, go ahead. That's really surprising just for the fact that I think literally everyone blew her off as a one-hit wonder. Mm-hmm. And she's really kind of come back and just really shrugged that title off. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, like it's stunning to me though that like like I know her singles have done well, um, and obviously she made a fortune off Call Me Maybe, but like the Wonder Years had a better opening week with No Closer to Heaven than she had with Emotion. Like let that sink in for a minute. Like that's crazy. There just nobody bought that album. It it doesn't it doesn't compete <laughs> in my brain. Yeah, that's really weird. I hadn't even considered that. Yeah. Well, we love you, Carly. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's go ahead and transition to the best songs of the year. Um, and I'll let you start off with this as well. I know you kind of uh, talked a little bit about Cigarettes and Saints earlier in the podcast, but I don't know if you had anything else to add since it landed at number one on our list. I, not, not a whole lot. Just Cigarettes and Saints for me it was an insanely strong emotional song. It's a... It's the Wonder Years at their quietest and their loudest all at one time. It expands their entire range of sound, and it uh, it dives. It's a story that really dives into multiple parts. Where it starts off as like a eulogy, and then it goes into a criticism of pharmaceuticals, and then it ends as just a raging punk song. And Part of the reason for me, at least, is, like I said, I saw them play an acoustic show earlier this year, and this is the song that really topped off their set list. And the entire night, they've been playing single after single, and I I don't know if you've ever heard a Wonder Years acoustic song, but it's very laid back. It's very quiet compared to everything else they've ever played. And uh, Soupy has that ability to really change his voice from just screaming to sounding like he's about ready to cry at a moment's notice, like while right. whispering into the microphone. So we've been, the show has that, it's an hour into the show, and he's you know, basically kind of whispering into the microphone while they're just gently playing the guitar. And they get to that final verse in Cigarettes and Saints, and the guitars 
are just mashing on the acoustics. Uh, Soupy's standing, holding the microphone, just shrieking into it, blasting out the speakers. And for an acoustic song, it blew my mind, and it just ravaged my insides. <laughs> it's the most <laughs> insanely emotional thing I've ever heard. And everything else I've listened to this year, no matter how much I've loved uh, the song, has never compared to that moment. And it's just, it stuck with me the entire time. And even now, all I want to do is listen to this song. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember you texting me the, the day of that performance. I really wish I could have been there to see that. But uh, even aside, I, I, it's an incredible song. It's, it's one of the best they've ever written. I, uh, so I'm, I'm going to reveal a secret about the top songs list uh, here on the podcast. So I made a last second, like literally last second, like two minutes till the post went live. I went in and made a change <laughs> um, because originally, oh. I, yeah, I know. Um, get ready, America. Um, <laughs> no, I, for me, I had placed my, the best song of the year as being uh, The Hills by The Weeknd which I still feel strongly about the merits of that song, but I actually switched it with Kendrick Lamar's All Right and moved Kendrick Lamar up to number two simply because, uh, well, All Right is just an incredible song. It, it's kind of like what I talked about earlier with that, with Tempemba Butterfly. It's so hard to cherry pick a song and then judge it based just on its sole self without having the context of the rest of the album. But All Right, if there's one song that you could do that with, it's probably All Right because that song kind of speaks for itself. Um, it's an extremely uplifting, powerful uh, just an anthem of a song, um, and, and it's beautifully orchestrated, um, and, and probably the most powerful song on the album. So, I, and because of its cultural relevancy, its social relevancy of the the world we live in right now, I felt like it deserved the top spot over the hills, which is a really great like sonic experience, but doesn't have like the the cultural weight to it that All Right does. But I still want to prag on the hills because, like all the lists I've seen, everybody's putting. Uh, I can't feel my face as, you know, as the top song from the weekend this year. It is not the best song by the weekend. The Hills is the best song on Beauty Behind the Madness. There's no question about <laughs> it. It's it's like listening to a horror movie. And that and it's supposed to be. It's like taking elements of a horror movie and it's just like so much of the album. It's describing these like horrific, terrible, deceitful, gross events setting it to the soundtrack of a horror movie and just making you grapple with it. And I, I love the idea of like how honest he is, how he just kind of lays it out in front of you um, and, and forces you to just deal with it. And, and the whole concept of the song is kind of revealed near the end of like, you know, the hills have eyes, who are you to judge? So if you're listening to this, this whole song thinking about, gosh, what a terrible guy. But then he's just kind of laying it bare of like, look, this is who I am. This is where I'm at right now. And guess what? If, if you were telling your story, you'd have similar things to say as well. Um, I just find that to be awesome. And that's on top of the fact that the, project, the production of it is just off the charts. It's, it's just one of the most incredible experiences you'll have wearing a pair of headphones this year. Um, well played. Yeah. So I was really surprised at seeing Motion City soundtrack so high on the list. Um, tell us a little bit about how they ended up at number three. Uh, Motion City Soundtrack's new album is something I'm still kind of grappling with. I think if it was released earlier in the year, it might have been on my best albums list, because the more I've listened to it, the more I've really liked it. Um, you know, Panic Stations, It's I don't think it's their strongest effort, but I do think it's one of their slow burns, kind of like Even If It Kills Me, where 
on first listen, maybe it doesn't have the greatest hook into it, but uh, the more you listen to it, the more it really pulls you in. But I Can Feel You is one of the few songs, I feel like, uh, from any band, really, that's, it sounds like it's a sequel to another song, and it pulls it off perfectly. Mm. Um, every time I've listened to this song, it really reminds me of uh, Time Turn Fragile from uh, Commit This to Memory, which is one of my favorite songs off that album. And, like, it has a similar theme. It has a similar setup where it's two – it sounds like two different songs mushed together with a bridge that just perfectly combines them. Yeah. And I Can Feel You starts off – it's a little weird, uh, but it's very deep. It's very self-doubty. And then there's just this dreamlike bridge that kind of extends into the second half of the song where it just starts slowly building into just uh, a perfect just – pop song it's fantastic and the entire thing is just a journey through justin pierre's mind where you know he's filled with self-doubt uh he's trying to grapple with the idea of someone else looking at him and he's coming to terms with the fact of uh you know what he sees himself as compared to what they're seeing him as right and it feels like an extension of uh commit this memory and it really highlights a lot of the things we really like about Motion City's soundtrack, which is just their ability to really produce music that no one else can uh, in weird ways. And, you know, a lot of the really uh, just self-depreciating lyricism of Justin Pierre, it's just, I, if there's one standout track on Panic Stations, I really feel like this is it. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to go wrong with Moshe Seti soundtrack, and that's that album's going to go down as kind of an unsung hero of the year. I don't feel like it's going to yeah. uh, get the love it deserves, but uh, it's a really solid album. Um, so not to belabor the the Carly Rae Jepsen point, but she was on our top songs of the year list uh, with "Run Away with Me," and I just want to talk about this song for a minute because it was the best pop song of the year. Um, oh snap! Yep, I said it. Um, no, <laughs> this song, it is it is one of, if we could go back again, well, I'm not going to say that. We did a podcast earlier this year where we did our favorite opening and closing tracks of all time. This this is in the mix uh, on the opening tracks and just that opening saxophone. I, so I love the 80s, Kyle. I'm a huge, unabashed fan of 80s pop, and emotion is just chock full of elements uh, from 80s pop past. Um, kind of made relevant in a in a mix that that works for today, and this song is the perfect example of that. It's just like so rich in the in those '80s elements, and it, it's just perfect. It's just the like the most fun you will have listening to a song this year. I, I love it so much. Um, so that is that. Um, did you want to talk about any of the other songs you placed on the list? Um, let's see, the only ones I can really think of is I. Uh, Empty Houses for me was far and away, uh, hilariously and ironically, the name of the single, uh, far and away the biggest surprise I had this year, um, you know, because Fireworks announced this year that they're going on hiatus, which is devastating because I love that band. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dave McKinders, the vocalist, uh, his new side project, Empty Houses, is just a crazily amazing Motown band. It's uh, it's just insane. They put out, you know, like a really 
uh, short, quick EP this year. And, you know, the songs are very simple. The melodies are simple. They sound like they could have easily been written in the 1960s. Uh, but they're fantastic. Every song is amazing. And far and away, it's that thing where when you find a new band and you hear the first song on the album and it captures you immediately, that's what Far and Away was for me. It's just, it hit you, it's the first sound you hear. It's the first time you really get introduced to them. And uh, it just, it caught me just immediately. And uh, the singer, I'm looking for her name right now, do do do. It's while you're looking, it's crazy to me how like just nobody seems to know about this band because I feel like Fireworks was pretty popular. So it's strange. Uh, Ali Shea is the name you're looking for, I think. Um, Son of a bitch, it is. (laughs) But I I was stunned. You're like the only person I've heard talk about this band. Uh, I can't get enough of them. And Ali Shea, Shea, I don't care what her name is. I love her. Oh, my (laughs) God. I can't get enough of her voice. It's a... She's the only vocalist I can think of that I can even compare to Adele. It's just her vocals are just, oh, they're so sweet and soulful. It's just I can't get enough of her, and I've been following them on Facebook. It looks like they're recording an album, and I cannot wait until that comes out. Yeah, Kyle may barge into the studio while they're recording and and uh, demand that they uh, give him a hug, I guess. I don't know. Um, Pretty please. But you love it, and I like it too. It's good. Um, you know, it's funny. We've done this whole podcast. We haven't even mentioned Fallout Boy. They were on our best albums list. Uh, I put Fourth of July on our songs list, which was a a dark horse uh, considering how popular Uma Thurman was this year. And I love that song too. But uh, you'll have to go to the website. It's all dead.com to read why I put Fourth of July on the list. Um, I guess we could finish up by talking about a few things from the year that didn't make our end of the year list, but we feel like should be discussed. I know you were mentioning a band to me uh, before we started that, um, that you really got a kick out of this year, but I I wanted to bring this up and I I was thinking about this this week, Mayday Parade. Um, They put out an album, Black Lines this fall and Mayday Parade has long since, I mean, since their debut album has been one of my favorite bands. I, I love them. I own every single one of their albums. I know pretty much every word to every song they've ever written. Black Lines uh, is a complete and utter departure from the Mayday Parade sound. They basically kind of just built on their own sound for the, you know, for four albums um, to the point where I was like, man, I'm, I'm not sure if I could do another album of this. Um, and then they completely switched it up. It's almost like a 90s kind of alt rock sort of feel to it. Uh, it, it pretty much abandons all of their, the usual conventions they've used in the past. And it's one of the most exciting and refreshing rock albums of the year. Um, unfortunately, it was like such a great year in music that I couldn't really fit it onto the top 10 albums list. And it, it saddens me that I feel like it's going to get overlooked by a lot of people. Um, but it was the necessary move and the right move for Mayday Parade to make to make that album. And I'm really excited to see where they take it from there because I, I'm just so happy with what they accomplished with that album. And I, I really love it. And so I, I just feel like somebody should be talking about it and like giving them a round of applause for having the guts to kind of get out of the comfort zone, do something completely unexpected and do it as well as they did. Yeah. And that's uh, the risk that happens. To a lot of bands that really kind of go out of their comfort zone to really strike uh, new ground with stuff like that. And 
you know, a lot of bands, it can be a make-or-break move, and I feel like Mayday Parade is going to be able to weather that storm yeah, uh, yeah. no matter what, you know, their final verdict is on that album. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, uh, one, it's going to bring in some newer fans, and then for the their fans that have kind of been along the ride with them and have aged as they have and were ready for something new, those fans will embrace it as well. Um, do you want to talk yeah. about... Uh, yeah. I was going to say, if nothing else, we saw them at Riot Fest this year, and they completely and utterly dominated a massive crowd. <laughs> yeah, that, that was awesome. That Riot Fest is such a good gauge. Like, if you're wondering, like, what is this band's relevancy? Like, watch their set at Riot Fest and see how many people show up. Mayday Parade had a really huge crowd. Yeah. So, um, do you want to talk about your uh, uh, favorite new band of the year? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, like uh, like we you like what you were saying. There was just so much that came out this year. Uh, as it is, hit me immediately as one of my new favorite bands. But I just couldn't find room for them on my top five list, uh, in our top ten list. But uh, they're they're a band. There's if you really think about it, there's nothing special about them. Uh. What really hit me was just how perfectly they captured the sound of when I fell in love with pop punk, like mm. in 2000. It's just their music hits the golden age of pop punk perfectly. Every single song, every lyric is just instantly memorable. It's uh, just it's fantastic, and it makes me sad because it feel it doesn't feel like there's anything unique with their band. But what they have is just the magic that came along with the genre when it first kind of appeared back, you know, 15 years ago. And when I was listening to their first song, uh, Speak Soft, the first track on the album, yeah, it hit me with a wave of just nostalgia and happiness that I haven't had since I listened to Newfound Glory for the first time. And it was one of those things where I listened to this album more just kind of on the off chance, like, oh, it's a new band, let's give this a shot. And I was floored within 30 seconds of the first song. And yep. I couldn't stop listening to them the entire year. Um, it's just one of those things where I also don't know what else to say about them other than the fact that, you know, it, they if you really think about it, they're kind of a generic pop punk, but they have the magic and the energy to their sound that every other band in the pop punk genre wishes they could have. And... Um, Never Happy Ever After is a fantastic album. I cannot wait to see what their follow-up is to this because I really feel like, you know, Wonder Years right now is kind of the unofficial flag bearers for the pop-punk genre. Right. I feel like as it is, in a couple of years, we'll be right on their tail. Yeah, I, there it was a great debut, and I, I feel like there were a lot of people ready to not take them seriously, but then you listen to the album and you have to. I mean, it's just so, it's so dang catchy. The melodies are so good. I love the, the two vocalists they have. Uh, I mean, they, they use that yeah. to perfect effect. And you mentioned Speak Soft, which made it on our songs list. Like That's just like the perfect opening song. Like you press play on the album and the first thing you hear is Patty Walters doing the, you know, why should I stick around when all I do is let you down? Like that, that opening line with no music behind it, like it just like hits you right in the face. Um, it's just perfect. Yeah. And I, I remember listening to them and I thought Kyle is going to love this band. So I, I told you about them like, Hey, you should check this out. Then like two days later, you'd put a review up and 
gave it a perfect score. I was like, holy shit, like, I really like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, they're a weird band where it's just, I don't know what else to say about them. Because when you really think about it, they're not bringing anything new, you know, to the genre. They're not really redefining it. But it's just, they have everything that made you fall in love with pop punk in the first place. Yeah. It's just the magic, the energy, the lyricism, the catchiness, the hooks, the guitar work. It's just, it's perfect. It really is. Yeah. Well, um, that's going to wrap up our discussion on the best music of uh, 2015. If you want more on this, go to itsalldead.com. We've got a lot of great lists up there. You can listen to the songs that we picked out as our favorites. You can share your thoughts about what your favorite albums and songs of the year uh, were. We would love to hear from you. Um, and of course, if you like our podcast, hit the subscribe button on iTunes, stay up to date on every show as we release it. You can also follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, we're everywhere. Um, so go find us. Um, if, as we finished up here, I, I would be uh, remiss not to thank everybody, um, that follows our site, listens to our podcast, that cares about what we have to say. Um, as I mentioned, this was our third time doing the end of the year stuff. It's crazy to think how much time has passed. Um, but the site has gone from just like a little dinky thing that we started a couple years ago to have some fun to being a, a site that people actually read and that bands uh, actually care what we say about their albums and, and songs. And that's been like a, an extremely humbling experience. Um, and we've had a blast. So if you follow our site, if you read our stuff, thank you so much. It means the world that uh, you would care what we have to say about anything because we're just a couple dudes. But thanks for Thanks for listening. So, um, That is going to do it for the podcast today. We hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year, and we will catch you again in 2016. Kyle, thank you for joining us, and thanks for another year of being awesome. Well, thank you, sir. All right, that'll do it. He's Kyle. I'm Kyle. This has been the official It's All Dead podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the official It's All Dead podcast. You can download our podcast at iTunes and find exclusive music news and content at www.itsalldead.com.